Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another fabulous edition of the Celtics Lab podcast. I, Alex Goldberg, am filling in for your standard host, Cam, who is on a plane as we speak. Good luck, Cam. Hope you enjoy. As always, I am joined by the doc, the one and only Dr. Justin Quinn. And here today we have special guest, associate producer for NBC Sports Boston and Chiron God, the one and only Max Letterman. How are you doing, Max? I'm doing great, guys. We got a nice win last night. Uh, the vibes are back. Vibes are certainly back. JQ, how are you? A little bit warm. Uh, it's that time of year here in Mexico, but uh, other than that, excited because we're finally moving to our new place. Congratulations, Justin. And uh, we are here in Boston, are extremely jealous of the warm weather here, staring out my window at another gloomy May day. That's okay, though. The Celtics are rolling, and we are going to get right into it. So, Max, I'm going to swing it to you first. Um, Let's start this off because we have two games to recap since we last recorded. So let's start this off in game one. Uh, The Celtics got off to a solid start early in the first, but Milwaukee's physicality and some unforced errors from the Seas cost them dearly. Uh, Marcus Smart got pretty beat up with a shoulder stinger and a quad contusion late in the second game and are in the second quarter. And then Milwaukee pulled away in the second half and won 101 to 89. I was in the audience and I was not having a good time. Um, So the big thing that, uh, so actually I'll just swing it to you. What was, what was your kind of observation and your thoughts heading out of game one? How did you feel? Um, It was just like the contrast between the Nets and the Bucks, you know, the Bucs are a good team. The Nets are a bad team and the Bucs have a coach. The Nets really don't. And so it was more, it was mostly just about, okay, this is a real series. Now this is a, you know, about punches, counter punches. And my instant reaction was like, just thinking what, you know, what's he going to do? I'm, I'm, I was excited for it because I've just been really impressed with his growth during the season. And there, every time you think that they're just going to fold, they don't. So I was really looking forward to it. The smart news, you know, was obviously concerning, but, you know, it ended up working out, but it was really just about, you know, the Celtics had to figure something out on offense because I thought it was fine. It really, you know, there were some things that they could tighten up there, like doubling Giannis a little too much in game one, but it was really the offense that was, was concerning for me. And, you know, you know, how are you going to score when they're letting you shoot 53s, but you're, just missing everything inside. They made 10 two point field goals in game one, which is just disgusting. So uh, that was my big takeaway was just, you know, it's about adjustments and let's see what they can do. And um, I was happy with what they did. Justin, any thoughts to add to that? What was your immediate reaction to game one? I was kind of panicky at first. I wasn't sure we were going to lose the series or anything like that, but yeah, getting smacked in the face with the difference between the nets and the bucks it was jarring, uh, as jarring as I imagined it was for them. And it was not fun to watch. Uh, all of the stuff that made them good in the second half of the season seemed to mostly go away. And just, it was definitely enough to to really cause me to reevaluate the, I think we called it in six games for the Celtics. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I think this is a seven game series for sure now. Yeah. The one thing that I noticed while I was there is that it seemed like there was not really ever a moment where the seas felt comfortable. It seemed like they were really pressing pretty much the whole time on offense. Um, I think back to a couple of plays 
where they tried to run some actions that I've seen them run before to get into some offensive flow. Um, but they were forcing really difficult passes into tight windows against Drew Holiday, or they were cutting a little bit too deep, more so than normal. And one thing, obviously, that I think stood out to me and a lot of other people is that uh, Jalen Brown had a really tough game in that first one. So, Max, I'm going to swing it to you here. Um, Jalen uh, obviously has a little bit of concern around his hamstring right now but he seemed to deny uh, that the hamstring was affecting him. What did you see from Jalen Brown in game one uh, as far as your observations and why he might've been struggling so much? Uh, It was definitely the hamstring I thought was bothering him. That was really a concern. Also, it was an early, early start. You know, it was the end of Ramadan. So he, you know, I'm pretty sure he's been fasting. Uh, I don't know if I've seen, confirmed is but it looked like it looked like a guy that hadn't eaten um you know he just you know he was gassed and it was also they were just against uh the physical team he was just manhandling the nets and then he comes in and he's like oh god there's brooke lopez and Giannis and you know bobby portis and oh by the way drew holiday who's just like the strongest guard ever other than marcus smart uh um, that's not a scientific study right there that's just an opinion um so you know, that was really my takeaway was they need a better Jalen game. I was really encouraged with him coming in early. Again, the shots up, uh, you know, really kind of setting the tone there before game two. And you know, the hamstring, they got three days off now. So hopefully it's not too big of a deal. But I just, you know, you got to find different ways to to attack the Bucks. You can't just go to the basket like Jalen is so good at doing. You, you have to maybe rely on your mid-ranger a little bit more, which they did in game two. So, and they didn't do it all. They took three mid-range shots in game one, which, you know, as much as I hate mid-rangers, I'm like, all right, you got to do something. You know, you, you can't just go flailing into the paint and hope uh, for the best. Justin, swinging it to you for a second. Is there anything from a scheme or coaching perspective that you saw from the Milwaukee Bucks that you think you're likely to see again going forward that will give them, uh, you know, areas that they're going to keep building on? Well, I apologize for the car alarm going off in the background, but you can hear that. I think we're going to see something more similar to what we saw in game one from Giannis, in which, though, okay, so let me back up a little bit. In game one, the Celtics tried to double Giannis a lot, and that ended up allowing him to basically do his own little Jason Tatum impression uh, and, and pass out of the double, and a lot of people scored very easily because of that. And so even though they kind of contained him, actually did a, you know, kept him to I think like 21 points or something like that in game one, uh, it didn't end up being such a great strategy. They completely changed tactics in game two and moved to uh, just having their stronger uh, swingmen, like the bigger, bigger wings and Al Horford uh, guard him one-on-one as much as possible with only minimal extra help which was wildly successful in preventing him from you know, moving the ball as well as scoring. He did eventually get to 20, I think it was 29 points, but overall, I think it was a pretty good strategy. However, uh, they're not going to change their scheme too much. I don't think they're going to do anything real radical, but they are going to try to get the other players involved because as we saw, it was a lot more successful than what they did in game two. So we might be jumping ahead to the tactics a bit here, but I mean, it's a good spot. It flows and, I mean, honestly, I'm really curious to see how they adapt because, as Max said, the, the mid-range seems to be the only real place that you can consistently get offense because they're not going to be breaking franchise records every night and shooting and making three-pointers. So, Yeah, and one of the tough things about the way that the Bucks defense works is that by virtue of basically encouraging uh, teams to take jump shots as much as possible and locking up the rim – you are also putting yourself in a position to snare long rebounds and run out for easy transition points, which is something that uh, I think the Bucks used to great effect in game one. They really dominated the Celtics on the glass in a way that I was thought was quite surprising after for most of you know the second half of the season, it seemed like the Celtics had finally solved some long uh, standing rebounding issues that have been plaguing the team, but the Bucks scheme is tailor-made to go and chase those long rebounds and then try and capitalize off of them. 
So we've talked a lot about game one. We've talked a lot about the uh, struggles that the Celtics had and about the adjustments that the Bucks made going into this series. But as always, we have to move on to the latest news and that concerns game two, which happened yesterday. But before we do that, uh, we would love to talk about talk to you about our partners at betonline.ag. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. Find out all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the playoffs, Major League Baseball, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. And please don't forget this weekend as the run on the to the roses is on at the Kentucky Derby. Bet online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code CLNS. 50 to receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And speaking of games starting, yesterday the Boston Celtics started a game at 7 p.m. and that game went a little bit differently than game one. So Max, I'm going to do a little recap and then we'll swing it to you with some questions. Uh, Obviously, Marcus Smart did not start in said game at 7 p.m. He was out with an injury. Um, And just kind of going into that game, Max, did that injury change how you felt about that game or about the series? What was your reaction to hearing that Marcus Smart was not going to play game two? Dread, mostly. Just dread and fear because, you know, game losing game one, not ideal. You know, I picked, you know, I was just like you guys. I picked Celtics in six. But, uh, you know, losing game one kind of changes the math there. You know, it's still technically possible, but I think it's more likely that it goes seven. And then Marcus not being there, it's like, look, you either win or you're, you're done. I can't, you know, it's, you know, they did it in, you know, 20, was it 18 or 17 uh, versus the Bulls when they went down 0-2. But that was a totally different scenario, totally different team. So, you know, going down 0-2 with home court advantage is just a disaster. So I, you know, I went into it like, like you, someone's got to, you know, you got to step up. I also didn't think they would be as bad as they were in game one. Like I said, it was really just about, you know, just the contrast in the two teams that they were playing. And I know they had a lot of time to prepare for game one, but, you know, talking about it and then actually physically, you know, stepping up to the challenge is a lot, lot different. So, you know, I wasn't terribly worried. The Marcus injury did, did, you know, put a pit of, you know, fear in my stomach, but, you know, I was like, look, it's it's not really, you know, Marcus is a great defender, but they're a great team uh, defensively. And his offense is almost more important than his defense in a lot of situations. And, you know, Derek White, for, for, you know, he can't buy a bucket. You know, he can't seem to hit shots. He seems, you know, I think he just has resting afraid of the moment face. I don't think he's actually afraid of the moment, but it sure looks like it sometimes. But I think that's just his natural face. Um but he, you know, say what you will about him scoring. He's a great passer, great ball mover. Uh, he just fits in. He, you know, gets the guys, you know, he's the kind of guy you want in a series versus the Bucks because you, know, you don't have to worry about him taking ill-advised shots. He's going to take the shots that are, you know, the, the offense dictates uh, or that the defense allows them to take. And he's going to move the ball. He's going to run around. He's going to defend. And, you know, so it wasn't, I, I still thought, they were going to win last night and I, I didn't think they were going to get out to such a huge lead early but you know I'm glad they did it was a lot less stress uh, for me for the night uh they you know, got a nice blowout I got to update all my graphics you know with five minutes left in the fourth quarter which is always nice so you know I wasn't uh, I, di- I didn't think they were going to lose last night but the Marcus injury wasn't ideal but now you got three days uh maybe he can be um you know ready to go for game three Justin, anything to add there? I do want to point out once again that Brad Stevens and the Celtics front office have done a really good job at creating the kind of depth they needed, the size and the skills to fill in for someone, for example, like Rob or in this case, Marcus, who maybe they have some health concerns that are a little bit overblown in some people's eyes but they are out often enough for smaller injuries because of how intense they play the game. And to have found someone like Derek White who was able to fill in. And let's also give uh, 
fast PP a little bit of credit here in that he was just nailing his shots this time. There has been some people who have been a little critical of Derek White continuing to shoot. And I actually want him to. I don't necessarily think we should expect him to become some kind of a marksman, but he's also not going to continue shooting like under 30% from three, I don't think. I think he's going to get a little bit better when he gets a little bit more confident. And there's not a lot of other alternatives. So to wrap it all up in a nutshell, um, I was really nervous. I thought it was going to be a coin flip. I was not expecting them to jump out the lead that they did, but um, let's just say I had a little bit more adult beverages than I was expecting after it was very clear I wasn't going to have to write a whole bunch of horrible, horrible things. So it's pretty good. And just to throw it out there, while Derek White did not score and had five fouls, he also finished the night plus 22 tied for the team lead with Grant Williams. Uh, I thought he did a really good job defending and moving the ball when he was on the court. Obviously, the scoring is always going to be an issue with White. It's kind of been an issue since he's got here. But as far as playing his role and playing within himself, I actually think he did a pretty darn good job of that last night. I wonder, Max, if Marcus's injury is going to be something that keeps him out for another game or so, do you think Derek White should continue to start or should the Celtics look to shake up their lineup again, given his offensive struggles? No, absolutely. He should definitely start. I mean, the thing that you got to worry about with Pritchard is that, I mean, the Bucs are going to figure it out. If you just put Javon Carter out there or if Drew's out there and just pressure him full court, that's trouble. You know, the Celtics are going to have to have Tatum bringing the ball up, uh, you know, a lot because it's just, you know, for some reason, that's the one thing where where Peyton gets a little a little questionable is when he gets that full court pressure. And they're stout, man. Those guys are really good. Javon Carter's a menace. Uh, and Drew Holiday is just such a solid dude. I mean, he's so strong. Um, so and in game one, they were getting, you know, they're trying to set the high ball screens and they were getting called for fouls. Uh, the Celtics were, you know, <laughs> Scott Foster. But, uh, you know, you never know what's going to happen, you know, when you're on the road in the playoffs. So, who, you know, who knows? But Peyton actually has good road numbers. I'm not super worried. Derek White's road splits haven't been great. But, you know, again, you're not really asking him to score. He's got to shoot the shots. I don't think he shouldn't. I mean, like I Sixers fan here watching Ben Simmons not shoot just – the value of an attempt is so much better than a non-attempt. You know, it just changes. It changes the way teams can defend you. So if he stops shooting, teams won't try to cover him. And that just makes it much more difficult for the rest of the guys out there. So he absolutely should keep shooting. I think he should start if Marcus can. If Marcus is going to be hobbled as well, I think it's too mm-hmm. important of a game to have him, uh, you know, if he's, if he's going to hurt you, you know, if he's not going to be able to play his, his brand of game or give you enough, then uh, there might be some value in keeping him out again. But I, the way that I, you know, the way that Ime was talking, it seemed like they were pretty sure that giving him the night off would help, you know, with all, you know, give him five full days to recover. And one thing that I just absolutely love about Ime is he's so honest about injuries and stuff. It almost to like there, I just was, I knew Rob was coming back last series because I was like, everything Ime says is like, but well, you know, we're not rolling them out. We're not rolling them out for this series. We're not preparing for him. Like it was just so optimistic that you kind of knew. Uh, and then it wasn't until he got closer to coming back that he was more like, well, you know, we're preparing for him not to be here. Then he tried to be a little gamesmanshipy, but Ime is pretty honest. The way he talked last night seemed like Marcus was going to be, be back for game three, be ready. Um, you know, it's it, any other player, no question he would have been out last night, but the fact that it was um, it was Marcus was a flip, a coin flip. You know, you just never know with that guy. Uh, he's such an animal, but, you know, we'll see. Hopefully he can give it a go. But if not, I would definitely stick with Derek White and and probably not really screw around with the rotations unless foul trouble makes you have to go deeper, which then you're probably not winning anyway. Justin, should the rotation stay as is if Marcus can't play? I don't see any reason to adjust to nothing. You know, if it works, keep going with it, but have something in your pocket for a quick adjustment. Have a plan for when they do try to start getting the other players involved. Be ready to start attacking the passing lanes, getting deflections, do whatever you can to. That's the obvious counter. Um, it Maybe, you know, I'm sure they're going to have better stuff than this guy who has never even come close to being on an NBA team's coaching staff. Uh, 
but yeah, just basically don't adjust us just to adjust to nothing, but be ready for the obvious adjustments because they're not going to do anything too big unless Coach Bud has turned over a wildly new leaf. Speaking of quick adjustments, one thing that I noticed about last game uh, that really I think was a brilliant tactical move by Ime is that Grant Williams got a super early sub. He checked in like three minutes into the game and he was assigned to basically handle Giannis as best he could one-on-one. He did a really, really great job on both ends last night. And I think this playoffs has really sort of become a coming out party for Grant Williams as a critical role player. And frankly, a guy who is setting himself up to make a hefty chunk of change going forward. Um, obviously, Jalen Brown was the big story last night, um, raining down 25 points to get the half started um, and you know, con- just consistently being involved on offense despite the aforementioned hamstring injury. And of course, Fast, P- Fast BP played pretty well as well. Um, and, you know, opening up uh, the offense a little bit, hitting threes, making Javon Carter, who, by the way, just for anybody who doesn't know, Javon Carter is the guy you should fill out your roster with on 2K. If there are any 2K players out there, the third string point guard that you want to get for cheap is Javon Carter. Just throwing that out there. Hits threes, plays defense, et cetera, et cetera. But Fast PP did a pretty good job with him. Um, one of the reasons that Grant subbed in so early, I think, is because Robert Williams showed flashes last night, but I think we can agree that he looked a little bit rusty. And in particular, Giannis Antetokounmpo spent a lot of time hunting Robert Williams when he was on the floor. So, Max, I'll swing this to you. What's wrong with Rob? What's going on here? And should we be concerned going forward? I think he just trying to get back into you know game shape you know really he's you know he's just gotta I think he's just gotta get his timing back because you know he spent all that time out uh you know practice isn't going to simulate the game but yeah you know what really kind of was shocking is that there were some plays where he contested and didn't get there in time and that's just you know what makes him so special is that he just comes out of nowhere he's just got that quick burst and he can just block shots he had no right to even touch that ball um but I think he'll get back. And, you know, Giannis is a freak. He really is. I mean, he's so good. So, uh, you know, that's, t- that's a tough matchup for anyone. I've seen him throw, you know, 280 pound dudes around before, you know, he's just a, he's not a human being. It doesn't seem like, uh, so, you know, he's just a hard cover and Rob is not really the primary, you know, one-on-one defender guy. He's more of a help guy. He's great. You know, as the, you know, you're, you know, Giannis beats a guy and then Rob comes in, but Giannis is fast. So it's tough. And if he can just be a little bit more disciplined with his fouls and just keep his hands up, uh, he does have that quick burst. And I think he'll get back. I really do. Um, he was definitely better than he was in game one, you know, in game two. And, you know, hopefully game three, he's closer to what he was uh, before getting injured because that guy was, you know, you know, you could have made an argument that he was defensive player of the year uh, at that point. So, you know, I, I think it's trending in the right direction. He's not back to where he was before, but, you know, just having him out there is just, it's just a great, it's a great thing when we thought everything was lost when he had that meniscus injury. Justin, what's the answer to when Giannis looks to hunt Robert Williams in a pick and roll? Uh, have him on the other side of the court. <laughs> it's basically <laughs> the best option. Uh, other than that, uh, you know, if you, if you do find yourself commit to getting, knocked over, try to get in position, try to draw the charge. Uh, I know that's not his thing. I know he's a little more fragile than we would like for him to be. But I mean, if you do find yourself stuck, uh, that that like half-assed, like I'm not sure if I'm going to be in front of him or on the side thing that he was doing, that's just a foul anyway. So if you're going to get a foul, you might as well at least try to get the charge. Speaking of Giannis Antetokounmpo, who I think at this point is pretty clearly the best guy in the league, just to throw that out there for my own personal commentary. He might be the best guy in the in the league, but he had a really rough first half. Uh, he started off 0 of 6 uh, in his shooting attempts, and the Celtics, I think, did a really nice job flustering him. Max, what did you see from the Celtics' defense and how they schemed Giannis that changed from game one to game two? Well, it was just like we were saying earlier. Earlier, they didn't double him as much. You know, they didn't give him the option to, you know, pass out. 
um, you know, out to an open shooter and get um, an assist. He didn't assist on a single three-pointer in game two, and I think he had seven assists on threes in game one. So it just, you know, it, it just shows you that it's a, it's a, it was a strategy. And also Grant is just, he doesn't want to defend Grant or he doesn't want to go after Grant, go against Grant. Grant is unpleasant to deal with. He's probably talking the entire time. It's probably some nerdy stuff about board games and things, uh, or <laughs> it's just absolute trash talk slander. Um, but either way, he's just, he's a really hard person to move. You know, I was talking about Drew Holiday as a guard. Well, Grant is like a, you know, he's a thick piece of mountain that's just in the way. And you, you see him and you think, well, I'm Giannis. I can go over this guy. He, you know, he's not as athletic as me, obviously. And he's, you know, he's short. He's not big enough, but he's so stout. He's smart. He moves his feet and, you know, he can, you know, he can block your shot. If you're not careful, he can steal it. And, you know, the Celtics are just a smart, such a smart defensive team. And they made that great adjustment. And look, it's going to come down to, if it's going to come down to Giannis taking a contested like six footer, um, you know, or a wide open three point shot, I'd rather Giannis take the contested six footer because the Celtics, it's not like, you know, Peyton Pritchard's the one contesting. It's like dudes that are either have or will be on all defensive teams that are out there. So it's, yeah. You know, that's that's the strategy. That's what they're doing. And, you know, it's different than what they did with uh, Durant, uh, you know, just having Tatum draped all over him, you know, all series, it felt like and just making life miserable with him running around. It's it's a, you know, kind of way that they're dealing with him, but it's still like super effective, even though he had a triple double in game one and, you know, he scored a lot of points, especially in the third quarter in game two. I just think that they're they're going to get in his head a little bit and you know if you know he's going to get his nonsense calls he's going to chart you know commit offensive fouls that are called blocks it's going to happen and it's going to frustrate the crap out of you but um i think as long as the celtics stay poised and just you know don't panic which they really haven't done you know in 2022 i think they'll be okay one thing that stood out to me is that it's not that the celtics didn't double Giannis. I think it's that they got a little bit better at knowing when to double Giannis, which was a really important but kind of subtle adjustment. Doubling Giannis when he's got a full head of steam or when he's got the ball up towards the top of the arc is not going to work for exactly the reasons that you just mentioned. Doubling Giannis in early shot clock situations where he has plenty of time to make a decision or to really feel out the floor is also not an option because of how much he's improved as a passer. When you should double Giannis is late, in particular after he has already committed to a specific option. And I thought Al Horford actually did a really nice job of coming in with late help after Giannis had already committed and forcing him to improvise on the fly. That takes a level of patience, awareness, and skill that you have to be a really high-level defender to execute at that, uh, at that speed. But one strategic area that they might want to look to is basically having the threat of a double, but not committing to a double until Giannis has already made a move, which means having Grant Williams on him in single coverage or Al Horford in single coverage, and then waiting until he makes that formal commitment to send the second guy. Um, Speaking of uh, guys who are potentially MVP candidates going forward, Jason Tatum started off pretty cold last night, but by the end of the game, he was on fire and in fact carried the Celtics down a stretch when things, I think, looked a little bit dicey for them at points. So, Max, what did you see from Jason Tatum's game last night and what do you think we should be looking for going forward for Tatum? Well, what's funny is that last night when I thought, this was crazy. That was the first time he's ever scored more than 22 to the Bucks in the playoffs. And that's not a small sample. That's 13 games. So, you know, he finally got over that hump, uh, which is so weird. But, um, yeah, I, I just, his, I'm just so impressed with his game. He, you know, he got a little, a little too emotional, I thought, in game one. He was letting um, the refs kind of impact his effort level, which you never want to see. And it wasn't like the whole game. But there was a couple of plays where he didn't get back on defense. And it was just like, Come on, just just fight through it. You know, you, you're not going to 
like it, it's not going to help to complain. It really isn't. It's probably only going to hurt. So, you know, I, it was nice to see him have more composure uh, in game two. And, you know, it's definitely something he's, he's gotten better at this season. Um, and just pretty much every year he's been in the league, he's gotten better at it. And now he's just, he just like, looks like he wants to be uh, the playmaker. He's like really kind of relishes the, the, the passing. Oh, you're going to double me. All right. I'm going to hit an, an open guy. And just the, the ball movement, he's not going to just sit there and, um, and, you know, dribble out the clock. I mean, he had a couple where he was just dribbling a little much early in the game uh, where it was like, what are we, or maybe it was a third quarter. And it was just like, come on, like, let's just keep with the game plan. And eventually he did. And uh, that's what I love about well, what I see with Tatum is that if his shot isn't falling, he's getting guys, the ball. he's getting guys open shots. Uh, he's racking up the assists and he's just defending. Um, you know, he's going to end up on an all, all defensive team uh, one of these years. He's just, He's just such a good defender and he's shutting guys down and uh, he can, you know, play in passing lanes. He can block shots if you let, or if you're not aware of him on help. Uh, So I was really impressed with his all around game. And then, you know, when he's hitting his threes, he's just unguardable. He's so good when he's hitting those threes and it's the three point shot has been such a weird thing with him this year, because even when he took his leap uh, after the all-star break, he was still not hitting his normal clip. So uh, you know, there's, there's room for improvement there too, but you know, he was, he was dynamic last night. Uh, he was an alpha and, you know, Jalen, you know, started the game strong, but, uh, Jalen came in or, or Tatum came in to close. So, you know, that's kind of how it was during this, the regular season where Jalen would come in in the first quarter and just, you know, establish his will, you know, let the defense know you're going to pay a physical price, uh, tonight, especially if you try to stop me going to the paint and then Tatum them would just ice him in the fourth quarter and look i'll take it i can't say enough about this kid he's so young he's so talented so good they're they're still like way ahead of where they should be and it's just awesome and i hope celtics fans realize how lucky they are jq what can the celtics do to make sure that tatum stays at this level going forward in the series that's a good question I mean, really just keep playing the way that they have been playing. They seem pretty comfortable using him as kind of a a point forward more so than they have in the past. And the real trouble they had in game one was mostly due to him reacting to the, the, the result of the doubling, but he also didn't really seem as willing to share the ball with trust his teammates in game one. I'm not so sure what they're going to be able to do to without knowing what the Bucks are going to do. I'm not really sure what to say as far as how they can keep them playing like that. But I mean, as I said earlier, really just keep doing what they're doing, you know, try to anticipate adjustments. But as far as what's been like done so far in game two, I don't see any reason to change anything up significantly. Speaking of the three-point shot, which both of you mentioned, the Celtics shot uh, and scored a lot of three-pointers last night and ended up outscoring the Bucks by 51 points on threes. Um, it was an incredible performance for the Celtics from deep, and it's exactly the kind of thing that the Bucks defense allows. So, uh, Max, is the three-point shooting a sustainable strategy for the Celtics team to win three more games in this series? I think it like let's is it game one three point shooting or is it game two? I know uh, that's the real real question. And I think if if they're gonna take the threes that they took in game two, then yeah, I mean they weren't just like all right, we're just gonna come down and shoot a three. They were we're gonna drive, we're gonna kick, we're gonna drive, we're gonna kick, and then shoot the three. The offense, you know, they were they were taking the shots that were there. You know, they were taking the best shots available and. Uh, hitting them and that I just it was they're making the right basketball choice enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. sign up using code champion and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet when you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features live betting options and the best daily promotions in the business and with BetMGM at your fingertips every play and every game matters more than ever remember to use code champion and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets 
if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. You know, in game one, it was drive and turn all over. Like it was drive and I didn't realize that there was three tall dudes that were going to be here. Let me jump in the air, turn around and try to teammate mid flight. Uh, oh crap. I'm just throw it towards my basket. Uh, and there's a turnover and the buck player who got it was already halfway down the court. So, you know, I'm sorry here. Uh, those are not the ideal uh, ways to shoot threes or ways to run offense at all. Uh, but you know, in game two, they were they were patient. They were they were smart. They made the right basketball choice, and I think that's sustainable. I know a lot of there's a lot of people that are saying you can't win. You know, just chucking up threes. I'm like, well, cool. I mean, the Warriors. You know, they seem to have done that. I know there's no Steph Curry on the team, but at the end of the day, it you know, the Bucks allow it. And it's not like you're just running up and shooting it through. You're not like trying to like break some record here and just go chuck threes every night or at, at the beginning of every possession. They're just making the smart play. Like try to score uh, in the most efficient way uh, every possession. And that's what they did. So, yes. Justin, what do you think? Can the Celtics rely on their three-point shooting to win this series? I think that they can rely on it as a tool in exactly the way that Max was suggesting. I don't think we can expect what we saw in either game one or game two to be a realistic approach because they're not going to hit as well as they did in game two. And they're not, I hope, going to take the quality of shots they took in game one. So when you combine those two things together, uh, if they continue to use them with mid-rangers, with transition, with whatever tools they can get to, as you said, get the best available shot, I think it'll be successful. The problem is that the, the physicality of the defense is designed to, to kind of try to bait you into getting frustrated and taking those shots early in the shot clock when you finally get kind of open, but not really open, that kind of a thing. So I do think that there is a, a good place for the three-pointer in this, but I also think we're going to see a lot more mid-range shots than even in game two. And I think the mid-range aspect is a crucial part of why, even though Jason Tatum is the Celtics' best player and Giannis is maybe the best player in the world, the X factor who's going to decide this series, to my mind, has to be Jalen Brown, who is the Celtics' I think preeminent mid-range guy, and he's capable of opening up their offense maybe as much, if not more so than anybody else on their team. So obviously Jalen's nursing a hamstring injury. Uh, folks, I'll swing it to you first, Max. How concerned are we about Jalen Brown's hamstring? We've got three days of rest before the next game, and then he's right back in it. How concerned should we be here? Look, it's it's concerning. It really is because even with the rest, it's um, – you know, he had rest going into game one and it was, you know, it seemed to be an issue. And even last night he had an awesome game and he's still kind of holding it. Uh, it's just, it's uncomfortable to watch it. You know, it's one of those things where you just like, you're starting to like, it's like when Rob first came back, every time he jumped, you're like, eh. you know, it hurt me uh, to watch that. So I do worry about it. I absolutely do. But I think you just have to just look, they're saying he's fine. He's saying he's fine. There's there's nothing you can do. There's nothing we can do watching the game to impact it. So you just got to just trust what what he's saying and that the team, you know, is they're putting him in position to be healthy. And, you know, last night, whether it was bothering him or not, you know, he still ended up with 30 points. So uh, he was great in the first half. He he was a little bit meh in the third quarter, but then he was, you know, he was fine in the fourth as well. So I I think you're right about the mid-rangers. Uh, he's he's also a, like a, a really good bad shot maker, which is frustrating at times because like so many times I'm just yelling in the newsroom like, oh, bad shot, and then it goes in. And you're like, it's still a bad shot even though it went in. But that's what you need in the playoffs. You need a guy that can make just gross shots like with three guys draped all over you because um, sometimes it just the, the momentum of the game calls for it. And – Look, he was going to score last night. He was ready. He he was clearly pissed off at himself for the way he played in game one. And 
he brought it. And I think he's going to bring it in game three. He's going to, you know, the, this like, you know, you know, normally we would say like game three, they got it, you know, all right, they're on the road. They're not going to win that one. But like, I just, man, this team, we, we have to stop doubting. We have to stop doubting Jalen. We have to stop uh, doubting Tatum. We have to stop doubting Ime. Like this is there. They've given us four, like now five months of tape of them being the best team in basketball or the second best, uh, depending on what you think of the Suns. But like, that's just, that's just the facts now. It's not emotional. It's not irrational. It's just based on what we've seen the last four to five months. I think they're going to be okay. I think Jalen's going to come out and try to score again. I think Tatum had a meh game and he was, you know, 50%, 29 points. So, you know, there's, there's a, there's a higher ceiling here than what we saw in game two. One more thing about Jalen Brown that we forgot to mention is of course that he dropped Grayson Allen into the dirt, uh, which was one of the highlights of the year for me. I have now turned that moment into my Twitter profile picture Can follow me at designer underscore smurf. That's where you want to find me for various engagements and tweets and other things like that. Um, Before we move on to our discussion on game three, it is somewhat notable that Daniel Tice did not play at all last night. He struggled a little bit in game one. And in particular, it looked like the Bucks' size and physicality made life difficult for him. Max, are we going to see Daniel Tice again in this series? Well, I guess I would say hopefully not because, you know, they, they had a good formula last night when he didn't play. And I think if you see him again, that's because of foul trouble or, you know, God forbid, an injury. Hopefully, you know, they don't need him, uh, but he's a nice, you know, emergency valve to have if they do get, uh, you know, Al or, or Grant or Rob in some serious foul trouble. But I think that the Bucks, you know, I think the the move for them, their next move is to go small even probably. So I don't I don't foresee Tice being useful, um, you know, unless an emergency situation. So I think unfortunately for this year is uh, probably not. But, I, you know. Hopefully they move on, and I think you definitely see him in another series. But uh, just just a weird matchup for him. Justin, what do we think? I don't have too much to add to that other than it's nice that Tice has been shooting the three-pointer with the kind of confidence that he lacked before we traded him to Chicago. Uh, it would be nicer if he actually made the three-pointers often enough that he was reflecting how confident he is. And I think that has a big part of the reason why he also isn't playing in this, because if he isn't helping space the floor and produce offense in that way, then there's just really no place for him in this series. I have a thought, which is that I think we actually might see Daniel Tice again in this series, depending on how the Bucks adjust their scheme in light of the Celtics roster. If the Celtics, if the Bucks end up do going smaller and putting them into situations where it's like Giannis is playing the four or even the five, I think there is a world where you could see Tice for some spot minutes, particularly to give Al Horford a breather in smaller lineups. I think if you play him against Brooke Lopez and Giannis in the front court, it's going to be really hard for him. He's just going to get pushed around a little bit. But in situations where the Bucks decide to go really small, if that is something that they end up doing, you could see Tice just as it kind of soak up some minutes guy again in this series. All right. So speaking of the rest of this series, how are we feeling heading into Milwaukee tied 1-1? Max, I'll swing it to you first. What are we thinking about? Are, is our prediction of Celtics and six still valid or what, what, what's going on here? Yeah, I think winning two in Milwaukee uh, is going to be tough. You know, it's, it's you know, I, I love the way they looked in game two. Um, it just losing game one really kind of takes six off the table, in my opinion, because I was really banking on them winning the first two. Um, but you know, I think the reason I picked the Celtics to win the series, I think they're the better team. So I think that, you know, I don't know if game three is the game or if it's game four, that's the one where it's, you know, you're more like more likely to win. I think it really depends on what the bucks do to, to, I guess it's their turn to counterpunch. So, you know, we'll see. I'm, you know, I, I remember when Brad was the coach when they played Atlanta and, Bud. uh, Bud had just an extra, he had one extra move than Brad did in that series. And granted, the teams are so different, you know, and the level of play was so different and the matchup was terrible. But um, so, Bud, you know, Bud's 
he'll, you know, he's got moves. Let's see what he does. Uh, they're champions. They've got the heart of champions. They've been there before. They've been on the brink before. So uh, it's not going to be easy. They're not the Nets. They're not going to roll over. You know, they're they're going to fight until the the very last second ticks off of whatever the final game is. So, you know, I, I feel much better going into game three be, because the Celtics played game two a lot like I assumed that they were going to play game one in terms of just like the outcome. I thought they were going to, you know, win and win. You know, I didn't think they were going to spank them, but I thought, you know, they'll win by like eight points or something like that. So um, I don't, I don't know if that, you know, we'll see, you know, there's three days off, you know, there's a lot of time to adjust, but I would say the Celtics, I would pick them to win game three, but I don't know uh, what the score or anything like that. All right, Justin, what do we think the Celtics will need to do to ensure a game three victory? I come prepared for, again, the adjustments. Try to anticipate them. Try to have an idea of of, of an array, like study their own film as if they, I'm sure they do this, uh, as if they were the Bucks and try to anticipate the counter move before it happens to have a counter to the counter move. Because otherwise, they're going to end up having to be in the same position they were more or less on, on the Bucks' home floor for game four. So the, the better prepared they can make themselves with this time off, I think the better position they're going to be moving forward. And what do we think? Is Max right? Are we taking game three? It's really going to be how well they predict and how well they execute whatever they come up with. It's very hard to try and guess what these teams are going to do in advance, particularly because the Bucks they do make changes, but they don't make big changes. And what the Celtics have done that works is adaptable, but it's kind of, at least what I've seen so far, been in response to what Milwaukee does. So without seeing the adjustment from Milwaukee, uh, other than, as I said earlier, trying to get the other players more involved as was successful in in game one, I don't necessarily anticipate any big, big changes. So having something in their pocket for that is really the only thing I can think of. Sorry, Justin, the correct answer was the Celtics are going to take game three because game three is the game where Derek White answers the haters and gets 20 plus points. That's happening. Mark it down. All right. So we've got a little bit of game one. We've got a little bit of game two. We talked a little bit of game three. Anything else that we need to address before we move on to discussion around the rest of the league, folks? Feeling good? All right, let's do this. So uh, the game after the Celtics last night, I watched for about 15 or so minutes before I had to go to bed. Uh, And the thing that stood out to me is that game involved two teams beating the crap out of each other. In particular, Dylan Brooks committed a flagrant two foul in the very beginning stages of the game, clubbing Gary Payton across the face slamming him into the basket stanchion and potentially breaking his arm in the process. I think it's broken. Yep. Draymond Green got popped in the face and had a lot of blood. Um, This is coming on the heels of an ejection that he had in game one, which I think people had mixed reactions to whether that was a flagrant two or not. Um, And it just seems like it's taking a really intense physical uh, kind of turn for this series. John Morant's getting hit in the face. He couldn't see out of one eye. Um, Steve Kerr says that Dylan Brooks broke the code. Uh, Questions about that. Um, So in terms of this physicality, Max, I'll swing it to you first. What's going on here? Is this getting too physical? Are the refs doing their job here? Or is this just kind of par for the course? Uh, I mean, they ejected Brooks. I don't know what else they could have done. You know, unless you think jail time was needed uh, to really set the tone. I think, you know, uh, yeah, that was a pretty gross one uh, by Brooks. I don't think he meant to knock him out for the series, but he did, you know, and that's one of their primary defenders on, you know, or one of their more effective defenders on job. So that's, that's a swingable move. That's a thing that could really swing a series. And that's gross. That's like when, uh, when Zaza put his foot under, under Kawhi, that's one of those, like, you know, obviously yeah, I'm comparing Gary Payton, uh, to to Kawhi that's not great um but you know what I mean that's like one of those like it could really matter uh moves but uh you know I I think that they'll you know it probably favors the Grizzlies because they're younger 
um, and more athletic than the, the Warriors are. But, you know, the Warriors have some athletes out there too. They're not all geezers. So, um, you know, and I just think that, again, they've got, you know, I, I, I would pick the Warriors to win the series, but at the end of the day, like the Grizzlies don't seem to care what they're supposed to do. They don't care about, uh, you know, that the Warriors have all this experience of won all these championships, all these MVPs and stuff, but, you know, they just don't care. They're just like, whatever, we're just going to try to beat you every game. And, um, you know, it's working so far, at least it worked uh, in last game. Um, but, you know, I think that the physicality definitely benefits the Grizzlies, but I don't know what else the the Warriors can really do uh, to, to you know, unless they're going to put somebody in to take a cheap shot at, at uh, a Grizzlies player, which, you know, I don't think anybody wants to see, and I don't think they will do, because Steve Kerr likes to, you know, pl- uh, clutch his pearls a lot after his players get hurt i think he had more of a reason to do that last night than he did after you know steph curry got hurt when marcus smart was literally just going for a basketball in a basketball game so um i don't think there's going to be any sort of retaliation but there's no love lost for sure justin um so the golden state warriors did take one game on the road already in this series which in theory should be exactly what you want to do if you're the road team and yet max has laid out a pretty compelling set of points that maybe things favor the grizzlies right now what do you have for this going forward honestly i wouldn't be able to predict who's going to win that team that team that matchup uh the the physicality i think is a bit much but i don't really envy the referees because like you were saying max what else are they supposed to do when they were calling? Uh, there were there were people putting out articles on them calling too many touch fouls a few weeks, like like at the beginning of the playoffs, and now they're now they're not calling the the games enough. So put it together, and it sounds like a really not fun job to be in a position of. Um, but as far as the matchup goes, I think that the recurring theme throughout all of these playoff games, for the most part, um, up and down the East and Western conferences is just a war of attrition. Like who is going to be able to emerge with the healthiest, most capable roster to stop the other team. And right now the balance does seem like it has tilted slightly in favor of the Warriors, because as, as Max was saying, uh, Peyton has been really good at slowing down Jot so far in the series. And without him, they're gonna have a really hard time. All right, moving on to another series out West. The Phoenix Suns took a one nothing lead against the Dallas Mavericks led by Chris Paul and the return of Devin Booker, who actually came back at the end of last series, but looks more Devin Bookery heading into this one. Um, so, and of course, Booker had a hamstring injury as well, just like Jalen Brown, although it seems like Jalen's is lingering a little bit longer. We will see. Um, do the Mavericks have a chance with Devin Booker back and playing at this level, Max? No, I don't think so. I, you know, I like Luca, but the Suns are so good, man. The Suns are a good team. They're the best team. They've been the best team. They're on a mission. You know, as long as Chris Paul stays healthy uh, and Devin Booker, obviously, too, you know, they should be able to. I don't know if it's a sweep, but I, you know, I wouldn't predict a sweep, but I think, man. You know, uh, it's just the Suns, like I said, they're just really good. They're they They went back to the finals. They want to win it. They want to win it all. They're on a mission. So uh, I don't think the Mavs have a chance, unfortunately. Justin, what do you think? Is Dallas done? I don't think they have the, the personnel to compete with Phoenix. Uh, I think that maybe in a future season, they will put some parts around uh, that make a little bit more sense than they have at the moment. But for now, uh, I think that, it's going to be either Phoenix, Golden State, or Memphis that are come out. They'll come out of the West. And honestly, if you ask me to pick any of the three, I, I would feel equally. I know this is really compelling podcasting, but it's just like those three teams have really been dominating the West all season. And as as red hot as Luca can get himself, he is not going to beat the Suns by himself. He might not beat the Suns by himself, but I feel fairly confident, actually, that Luca can take a game here oh, and yeah. potentially make this a seven-game series. He is that good at this point. I think Phoenix has earned the right to be the favorite in the series. They've been the best team all year for the most part, or at least the most consistent team. I am a little worried about their health, though, particularly as Chris Paul continues to stack up miles in this postseason run. 
Devin Booker's hamstring injury, he seems to have largely recovered from, which hopefully is some good news for Jalen Brown and others suffering from hamstring injuries. But the wear and tear of these series is definitely kind of building up in both the East and the West. And Dallas's defense is quite good. They have a lot of physical, strong players, guys like Dorian Finney-Smith or Powell or Jalen Brunson, who's just been a bear to deal with in this game and uh, this series, no pun intended, Grizzlies fans. Um, but I, I don't know. I think this could be a more compelling series than maybe game one lets on. We'll see. We do have one more series to talk about. Back East, the 76ers are playing against the Miami Heat. That's tonight at 7.30. Um, in game one, Bam Adebayo was the big story. He absolutely dominated Philadelphia's front court of DeAndre Jordan, who will continue to start, I guess, forever, according to Doc Rivers uh, and Paul Reed, and of course, George Niang. Uh, shout out to you, George, uh, Boston area guy. Um, so uh, Bam dominated game one. Is there an answer for Adebayo without Joel Embiid coming back for Philly? Max? No, there's definitely not. Um, the answer is to just try to score a lot of points and, you know, hopefully just deal with it. I, you know, there's really nothing um, that they can do at the center position right now. Cause as much as I love B-ball Paul, he didn't play during the season and it's, you know, outrageous that now we're in the playoffs and you need him. And lo and behold, just like, you know, it's crazy when the fans, are smarter than the coach in one regard when it's like, you know, we're not saying that he's, you know, be a starter, obviously just kind of want him to get some experience so that if something happens in the playoffs, you have a, uh, a guy who's not going to foul out in the first quarter. And that's, you know, it's like what Rob Williams was like, you know, he would, except it wasn't because of stubbornness that he wasn't playing. It was because he kept getting hurt. So like you could see the talent was there, but he just needed the minutes, the experience to, to improve his, his basketball IQ. And he did, and he's, you know, one of the best defenders in the league now. So I think with Paul Reed, that's really what's hurting the Sixers is that he's just, you know, he's too foul prone at the moment. Um, but, you know, and, you know, Harden might want, might prefer like a DeAndre Jordan, who's at least a lob threat who can maybe, you know, go back to some of the Houston stuff he did, but I don't know. It's, I think you got to hope that you can come back from an O2 deficit if Embiid comes back uh, in game three at this point. Cause you know, I, you know, I'm sure by the time this comes out, you know, the, the game will be over, but I'm going to watch the game, but I'm not going to watch uh, with hope. Justin, what do you think? What are the answer to the Sixers front court woes until their MVP candidate comes back, which we'll see. Good off season. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't right. see them beating I don't see them beating the heat uh it's going to be too hard to come back I mean let me take that back a healthy ish heat if they do I mean so Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler have both been pretty banged up and there is a pretty good chance that the wear and tear on the series will create an advantage for them but if it doesn't I don't expect them to win this series Speaking of James Harden, only 16 points from Philadelphia's potential max contract free agent heading into next year. Of course, Harden, the subject of the famous Harden-Ben Simmons swap that occurred this season and shocked the NBA and put many, many teams in a little bit of a tizzy for about three weeks or so. Um, so James got 16 points against a Miami defense that really looked to fluster him as the point of attack guy all night. Max. Is it over for James Harden, top 15-ish player? Is that era done? You know, it's hard to say. Uh, I, you know, if I had to bet, I would say yes, just because there's nothing, uh, you know, I like to just, you know, use the facts that we know. Um, he's, you know, he, he had a lot of time to heal that, that hamstring before the first round. Uh, that didn't seem to give him his burst back. Um, and he's not the kind of player that's going to just dedicate, or he's not the kind of human being that seems willing to sign a $250 million contract and then start caring about his body. Like I just, if he, he is the kind of game that he could really, he could age so gracefully in the NBA and still be such a high impact player into his late thirties, but he, he would have to make that choice. He would have to, 
he would have to decide to stop coming to training camp to get in shape. Like the Celtics used to do in the eighties. It was like, we use training camp to get, to get in shape. No, no, no. You need to be in shape by the time training camp comes, um, which I don't think he's ever done in his entire career. Uh, and he takes like so long to get in shape. And at this age, look, you know, I'm in my, I'll call it mid thirties. Um, and I just know just waking up in the morning, man, it's just different. You know, I'm not creaky and old, but like, it's just different than in your twenties and you have to take care of your body. And he's a professional athlete. He's got all the best trainers and stuff. Um, but you know, Chris Paul really, you know, is, is like a lot of people point to him and say like, there's hope for someone like Harden, you know, uh, he just has to change everything about his personality. <laughs> but also Chris Paul's like super special. He's one of the, you know, the best point guards ever, a uh, freak of nature uh, for a small guy. And Harden, while I think in his prime was, you know, arguably the best scoring guard since Michael Jordan. I mean, he was so good. I mean, you, you, I would put him up there with Kobe uh, in those peak years where he was averaging 37. Uh, he was just so unguardable. He was so unguardable. The, that's clearly gone. They, they changed the way they call fouls. Uh, they don't let you have to uh, like he used to. Um, so he's got to just really take care of that body. So I won't say for sure that those days are over because it could just be that his hamstring is hurt and that he hurt to heal and he comes back in much better shape. But look, I just, it's troublesome because, you know, the Sixers don't have a ton of choice. They could say, Hey, do you want to just opt in and then we'll do it next year? Uh, or you could just opt out and you got to sign him because uh, you know, there's really, there's no other recourse. You know, I would rather have him than nobody. Like I would still rather have him than Ben Simmons at this point because Ben Simmons didn't play. I don't think James Harden is going to opt into that deal, Max. We'll see. No. Um, JQ, is the beard no longer someone to be feared? I am less afraid seeing him on the opposing team than I once was. I do think that people are underestimating his ability to play on a team that is a little bit better constructed that he is not the only player who is going to be scoring like he is right now. Uh, he has been kind of happy to let Embiid do his thing this season for the most part, other than he wanted to prove a point early on in arriving in Philadelphia. I have to kind of side with Max here that from what we have seen, what we know about his personality, that he, he enjoys the good times. You know, he, he enjoys the fringe benefits of his stardom and that's his right. But you also have to think about is, is this very talented person who doesn't necessarily have exactly the heart of a champion to use that phrase again. Uh, is this the person that we want on our team to, to try to win a championship? So I think whether he resigns or not, uh, that he will probably be able to play at a high enough level to put butts in seats for some time. And as a result of that, it would not surprise me if he ends up getting shipped out sometime in the next season or so, regardless of what he does. What his future holds as far as a high-level player, uh, I think the hamstring in particular does have a lot to do with what could be going on. But in the absence of any concrete knowledge, at least for now, he just seems like a top 50-ish player, which is still not bad. Do you want to dedicate like a full max, full, full deal for him moving forward? Full max. For a quarter guy. billion dollars. Yeah. Quarter billion for the guy who's going to be Philly's third best player next year. Just well, throwing Tyrese Maxey, baby. Tyrese Maxey, the guy. All right. Last thing, and then we'll get you out of here, Max. Um, what's happening in this Miami series? Is this a wrap? Are we, how many games are we talking? Uh, well, I hope, honestly, it's, like I said, I'm a Sixers fan and me and all my Sixers fan friends and my brother and family. And, you know, we had, you know, going into the, uh, the playoffs had kind of just written this season off, you know, at this point, because, you know, like you were saying, the roster is just not constructed, right. You know, they traded a lot of their depth to get hardened and it was nice at first, but, you know, you do need more depth and you need more shooters and you, you just need a better, better constructed roster. I think what you watch what the Celtics did, uh, you know, with getting Derek White, you know, just, man, that's a smart kind of trade. You know, you, you need things like that where you're, you're not trading out five 
you know, useful players for one guy who you think can, you know, is like a, a megastar. Um, because if he's not, then you're kind of screwed, which is kind of sort of where they are now. But um, I think so. I think right now I'm going to switch my allegiances to the Celtics, which when Celtics and Sixers play, you know, I'm a professional. Um, I think the for the hope of the Celtics, I hope it goes longer than four. I hope Embiid comes back and, you know, wins a couple games and, you know, and put some more wear and tear on those that old Heat team who I don't respect at all. Um, and I haven't respected. I think they played out of their, their opponents. I think they, uh, you know, I hate heat culture. I hate heat fans. Uh, <laughs> I like the city of Miami. It's probably nice. I like Florida. Uh, the weather's great. Disney World's fun, but uh, I know it's a different city. Um, I don't respect the heat. I don't think they're going to be, um, you know, I don't think they're going to be trouble, but it would be nice if they had to play like six or seven games. I don't think it'll happen, but I, let's hope for six. But yeah, it's the Heat are going to win this. I, I am no fan of Heat culture myself. I was watching Winning Time with my wife last night, and I just fell out of my mouth at one point. I hate Pat Riley, and she's like, "Why?" Because he's portrayed so nicely in that. And I was just like, "I don't, I can't take the time to explain." But I digress. Uh, I, I do think that the Heat are going to win the series uh, just because when Embiid does come back, you have to remember he has an orbital fracture. That can be a variety of different injuries. We don't know how severe it is if he is going to come back. And if he does come back, he's going to be in a mask, which you need to adjust to. He's playing with a torn ligament in his thumb. I mean, the fact that the man is even going on the court at all, he does have a heart of a champion. And I hope that at some point he gets surrounded with the kind of players that really do compliment him and want to win because he deserves that. He puts himself out there all the time. He puts his body on the line. Uh, he drives me nuts when he's playing with the Celtics. But I mean, as far as him as a basketball player who I admire for what he can do, uh, it's really painful to see his season end the way I think it's going to. Uh, maybe it won't. Maybe we'll be surprised, but it's just looking like way too much of an ask for him. I think Joe's coming back. I think he's going to take one game just to show people that he has still got it. But ultimately, Miami does seem like the better team. All right. Thank you very much, Max. It was a blast to have you here. That is, again, Max Letterman, associate producer at NBC Sports Boston. Max, anything to plug before we head out? Uh, Celtics post up. Uh, it's on its right now. <laughs> uh Seven o'clock on Wednesdays is going to re-air a bunch before uh, Game Three. Uh, a fun, a fun episode with Chris Forsberg and Amina, and Amina Smith. And just let everyone know we're still doing pre-half and post-game shows, even though the games are no longer on our air. Um, so be sure to flip over if you, you know, especially when the Celtics win. That's what you got to do. You got to watch that post-game show. Uh, you know, we try to get the guys on, but you know, Tatum and Jalen like to wait. You know an hour and a half before they come out. So sometimes we don't wait that long for them, but we try, uh, especially if it's the weekend. So uh, keep watching uh, NBC Sports Boston and uh, yeah, go Celtics. Thanks very much, Max. And if you like this episode, thanks for listening again to the Celtics Lab podcast. That's brought to you by CLNS and Celtics Wire. Please consider rating and reviewing whenever you get your podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or really just about anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Like, subscribe, review, et cetera, et cetera. Thanks again very much, folks. And we will catch you later. Go Seas.